Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Well, folks, that's your home and away season done and dusted and what a final round it was. I'm Matt Walsh and here to break it down and have a look at this week's finals, as always, is Jake Michaels. Jake, uh, fairly decent footy on the weekend, wasn't it? Oh, See, we need the buy so we can talk about it. Now we don't have it. Now we just got to basically forget and ignore what happened and move straight into <laughs> finals. But my goodness, what a well, mainly Saturday, but that yep. was just incredible. Um, and had Frio pulled their finger out, we might have actually had some more interesting hours of footy on Sunday. But uh, yeah, it, all in all, amazing. Can't remember a final round like that. Yeah, it's often, what's that saying? It's like absence makes the heart grow fonder. But the lack of the pre-finals buy is really getting to me this week because you're right, we can't really digest that last round. We can't really you know, look at these finals for the kind of, and find the potential final matchups in future weeks for the amount of time that we probably could or would. Uh, and I think that's a little bit disappointing. But look, COVID has thrown some curveballs and we have to readjust. Christian Jolly from Champion Data, how did the past week rate in terms of raw watchability from your point of view? Yeah, it was... Uh... It was. It played out exactly sort of the way we thought the weekend was. It was a promising weekend, you know, when you looked at the fixture Friday morning and it played out that way. We were sort of saying probably one of the games that sort of didn't matter too much was Richmond Hawthorne, didn't have much bearing on everyone else on the ladder. It was one of the best games of the season, (laughs) one of the best finishes anyway. Uh, But I'm with Jake. Sunday was a little bit a little bit of a letdown just because, yeah, Frio didn't come to the party. Bit of a fizzer. Um, Before we jump into another big episode, and there's heaps to talk about, we're going to preview the finals. We're going to talk all Australian squads and champion data's all-Australian team and some other bits and pieces as well. But before we do, uh, something interesting or quirky from the weekend that grabs your attention. Christian, I might throw to you first because Jake's still trying to scramble to think of something. (laughs) Well, yeah, something, I mean, talking about some of the great games, Brisbane West Coast. um, I mean, even Fox had the live ladder showing in the bottom left the whole game because, you know, just the twists and turns that were occurring in that game with West Coast starting in front and being in finals to Brisbane you know, trying to chase down the Bulldogs' percentage. But it was, uh, yeah, definitely grabbed my attention. It was a 40-minute last quarter, um, and the game went for 138 minutes or 137 minutes and 59 seconds in total, which was... Long, longest quarter since the uh, since the break-in pl- play over running. in Perth. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was, yeah, so the game was 13 minutes longer than an average match from this round and sort of obviously noticed that, but also noticed Geelong Melbourne had a bit of a a delayed start, which sort of suited me because I got to watch, I was working on the Geelong Melbourne game and got to watch the uh, finale of Brisbane West Coast. And yeah, I think the players were actually standing around at Geelong Melbourne down at GMHBA Stadium, probably would have got the last five or 10 seconds uh, of the Gabba game, Brisbane West Coast game broadcast live to them because they sort of held up the bounce until that game had finished before they started. I was surprised because you kind of wanted to revel in what had just happened up in Brisbane. And I was, I remember watching and then all of a sudden the, the, the ball had been bounced when Fox cut to their broadcast of the other game. So it was a bit weird because it just sort of happened so quickly. And I'd been holding on because I needed to go to the bathroom for about 10, 15 minutes before that. And I just couldn't take, I couldn't bring myself to do it during the game. Uh, and then all of a sudden I was, I was stuck watching the next game and had to hold on a little bit longer. So yeah, uh, interesting times, but good to see that the broadcasters can stay um, stay on top of this sort of stuff and you know just make the right call and, and delay the bounce down of the, the later game just by a little bit to make sure that everyone gets to watch the most amount of footy possible. Jake, can I throw it to you or should I go next? Oh, you go next. <laughs> um, something I, I, I noticed, and this is, I think, for the fourth time this year that I'm going to might point out uh, Hutto, Anthony Hudson, on, on the microphone. Um, 
he down it was the the game that we were just talking about before on Sunday that was a bit of a fizzer the Frio and St Kilda game um Cooper Sharman had a pretty good good outing for the Saints four goals looks a likely type I think he was uh in our stocks up and stocks down column he's been our stock up for the Saints for the last two weeks so if you'd got on him a couple of weeks ago you'd be laughing but uh Hutto he's he's got to have pre-prepared this line hasn't he He's he's gone and waltzed in for his third goal of the game, Cooper, and 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 Hutto's called the goal, and he said he's the greatest shaman, referring of course to the greatest showman, that movie that came out a few uh, years ago with uh, Hugh Jackman in it. Well, it's a good line, but yeah, I mean these are pre they can, pre contrived, of course, but but do you get penalized for that? Like it's part of the job, right? Yeah, it is. I just think some of the the great calls, if you think of you know calls going back you know, years and years and years, you think of like Leo Barry, you start, you can't script that sort of stuff. So when the scripted no. ones come out, it's kind of a bit jarring. And I just sort of had to, had to shake my head. And for, say, what it's oh, worth, oh, that's the, for what it's worth, that's the most overrated call in AFL history. Leo, Leo Barry, Barry, you star. You star. <laughs> like, is that that good? Like, it's not that good of a line. But at least it's organic. I actually quite like the organic ones a lot more. I mean, we, we saw it during the Olympics. Basil was commentating the swimming and Ariane oh. Titmus and Katie Ledecky were duking it out in the pool. And with about 10 metres to go, Titmus was going to win, might have been the 400. Um, and he just trotted out this pre-prepared line of, you know, to become a legend, you have to beat a legend. And I could just imagine Basil bringing up the paper in front of his face to make sure he doesn't make a mistake. And It was like he, he'd used the old Maccabi Diva line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when a champion becomes a legend, and uh, and I, you know, I just couldn't have seen Bruce doing that in that case. I think, um, uh, look, you know, anyway, commentators and pre-preparing lines. I wonder how much it happens and how many they've just got tucked away, ready for a rainy day. Oh, yeah, I reckon there's a few. Um, anyway, we we want to keep these guys on our side. Stop, we, no, we stop do. whacking Hutto every second week. <laughs> I know, I love Hutto. I love Hutto. I, I quite enjoyed the call, but I was just saying that the organic ones are often quite quite iconic compared to these little uh, pre-prepared little trotted out ones. Yeah. Something uh, you noticed. I don't have anything. I do not have a something I noticed, but I will tell one, you. It was one I of the will, best weekends of footy of the year. Yeah, I know. And I was so engrossed in it all. And I didn't have, I didn't have time to make little notes about Hutto's calls and <laughs> the dead birds on the, on the field. What I did notice though was, um, and I made the point uh, after Friday night's game with Ollie Wines, probably second best on ground behind Trav Boak. I said he's probably won the Brownlow medal um, on Friday night. If, and there was a big if, Jack Steele and or Clayton Oliver don't go and have best on ground games themselves. Well, what do you know? Both of them probably got the three votes. So I guess it's probably not the, what I noticed. It's, it's what I'm expecting is that we're going to have the tightest Brownlow medal count in history, it's going to be incredible. Our ESPN predictor has four players within two votes um, at the top, and it's quite similar with some of the other predictors out there. So it's going to be normally we we probably don't look forward to sitting through three hours of players' names getting called out slowly, but I think this year the tension is going to be high, and you just know that Gill's going to get a kick out of three votes: Melbourne, C. Petrarca. Oliver or Petrarca. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's no other O's at Port. Oh, Fantasia. Yeah, I don't think he had too many. Probably votes not getting too many season. votes, but uh, it's going to be a great, a great count. And the first time in 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 quite a while, there hasn't been a player that's clearly um, going in as a hot favourite. Fair enough. Uh, let's jump into uh, into things. We we can't 
have this podcast and not sort of look back a little bit. I know that we'd probably prefer to be looking forward to these finals that are coming up because there are some tantalizing matchups and there's plenty happening. There's there's the all Australian team has is going to be finalized this week. There's um, you know, trade and free agency use that's going to start popping up soon. But this this weekend that just gone, Christian, you were working on that Geelong Melbourne game as you said. Have you seen anything quite like a goal after the siren on the back of a 50-meter penalty to ensure that the D's get top spot and then secure the minor premiership? Yeah, and not even yeah, and and to kick the other team out of top spot too. Like it was basically, yeah. you know, either way it was top. So it wasn't just Melbourne grabbing top spot, it was stealing it off the team that had just given away the 50. Um, bit of redemption as well for Max Gorn, who's missed a similar shot against the same opposition. Um, I think you're almost in a similar spot to where yeah. we kicked it from, maybe a bit further. I think you're right. Um, yeah, just one of what do you, you know, the romanticism about the whole night. It was just as as we said, it was just yeah, the the um summed up the round of footy, how good it was. Jake, in leading into the round, it was the, the, the order of the top five was Melbourne, Geelong, Port Adelaide, Bulldogs, Lions. And coming out of it, it was Melbourne, Port Adelaide, Geelong, the Lions, and the Dogs who got squeezed out in the last 15 seconds of the Brisbane and West Coast game. It, incredible drama for a, in that match for a, for a, a, a result that was a 38-point win. <laughs> No, oh, it was incredible. I don't think I've ever been so invested in a game that's, that was such a blowout. And it, it always felt like it was more than the eventual margin anyway. Um, but the dogs, I mean, what a massive fall to go from basically a top... All year, they were a top two team and a top two chance to win the flag. All year. Um, I, I've said numerous times on the podcast that I thought they were the second favourite probably behind Geelong, or if not right on par with Geelong to win it. And just in the last month, just it just shows how how quickly things can turn. Now they fall to fifth. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom, but I said on the podcast last week, if they don't, don't finish in the four, they're not going to win it. And I wouldn't be surprised. We'll talk about it shortly, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Bombers beat them. You can make the case now all of a sudden they're the most out of form team in finals. So it, it's a, it's an amazing drop off for a team that we had such high expectations of, um, you know, it's only three or four weeks ago. I know the AFL is obsessed with copying American sports when it can. Um, but do you think there's a merits either of you guys in having some of these games playing at the same time? So you can kind of have these concurrent results, kind of like in the premier league on the final day, uh, do we have the capability to do something like that, Christian? Champion data? Do they? Do they could they do you'd nine games to, simultaneously? You'd have to hire a few more people. I think we can. We can at the moment, current setup. We could probably do three simultaneously. Um, I do know, as you know, I think that's what Brisbane West Coast going into Geelong Melbourne showed. I think Fox, you know, do two channels, and um, obviously every game's broadcast on Fox. So I think they're at the limit of two simultaneously. But I was the same. It was just that weird feeling of leading into uh, Collingwood Essendon Sunday. You're like, well, how does Essendon feel? You, you don't want to flirt with form, but they had nothing to play for. They mm. almost, you know, I don't know if they were watching. It wasn't like it was a close game down in Tassie, but they would have been watching that game and known that they were in finals. You sort of celebrated before the games even started. Uh, go out there and play sort of you know, self-preservation versus trying to keep your form up. It made it a bit weird. And mm. I think those two, if you're going in Saturday night and you realise there's a chance, um, I think it would be great to have, you know, on, a, on only on round 23 Sunday, do we have a chance where two games could be played concurrently and you keep the results guessing, yeah. Yeah, and then, well, it depends on if they have the pre-finals by again next year, but it depends on then having breaks and whatnot leading into those finals. But um, surely there's a way to, to sort of eke out more drama if possible. Um, Jake, 
we well the the product team have been working really hard here at ESPN because we've got a fun new finals game uh really? out this year. Yep, you get to put your footy knowledge to the test in ESPN's Footy Finals Challenge. So you basically, you round up your mates, you give it a go, and you try and win the $1,000 prize. It's a free-to-play fantasy sports game on ESPN.com.au where you can make a series of predictions about the upcoming AFL Finals Series, which starts this Friday night. We've had a look at some of these questions, and there's some pretty good ones in there, and it's, it's going to be tough to win, but there is a $1,000 prize at the end of it. Yeah, it's not just, um, it's not just your typical Tipping. who's mm. going to win um and and margin there is a little bit of that but also some some um left field questions such as who might have more disposals who's going to kick more goals and things like that so yeah um give it a crack we'll be we'll be playing it well i've i've put my tips in so you go to espn.com slash games slash footy finals uh and uh get stuck in because as we said there is a prize involved uh moving on we had the all australian 40 the team of 40 was released on monday um and we had the, we had the we had the usual complaints for three hours straight after that. <laughs> yeah, if you were to search the word stiff on Twitter, I think you just <laughs> find stiff and then footy players' names. Going I don't want to search as the words, I can see. Uh, I'm not searching the word stiff on my on my work laptop. Thank you no, very that's, much. <laughs> <laughs> that's, fair, that's fair enough. Um, but yes, it was released on Monday. A few stiff names, uh, a few surprise packets, and a few or many uh, first-time squad nominees. Uh, and we thought we'd ask Champion Data who would make up their All-Australian side. So, Christian, with that in mind, uh, we sort of tasked you with coming up with an All-Australian 22 and a different way of deciding who would be in there. So I guess run us through how you decided who was going to be in your side and, and then who's made it. Yeah, so, yeah, it is. It's probably the first... Um all Australian teams we've done for the men's competition. We've done this um, the last two years for AFLW. Um, and it's basically, a, it's what we always call a stats all-star team. So we picked 22 players based on being the leaders in particular stats that we find, uh, put it, put our heads together, all the analysts at champion data and worked out what do we want? If you were picking a team, you know, what type of players do you want? You want interceptors, you want goal kickers, you want clearance winners, blah, blah, blah. So just pick the number one player in each of those 22 stats that we feel would make up a good team. Um, so obviously, yeah, the subjectiveness of it is what stats we chose, um, but then the players that got plugged into each position was completely objective, just whoever came out on top. So, yeah, I suppose the first stage of it was going through and trying to find the, the 22 stats um, to make up the team and how that would sort of fit into position. So obviously... Um, every team has a ruckman, so we needed to put something around hitouts in there. But you know, what what do you want your ruckman to be? Do you want it to be the guy that's won the most hitouts, or do you want the guy that's won the most ruck contests, so the highest percentage win, or do you want the guy that's got the cleanest hitouts to advantage? And just using that position as an example, we chose the hitout to advantage uh, win rate. So who's who attends the most contests and ends up winning the ball directly to a teammate the most often, uh, and that came out as Nick Natanui. So he therefore he gets the starting ruck position in the team and. Uh, as I said, yeah, we, we we sat there and picked the 22 stats first um, and then plugged the names in next to it. A couple of the stats, we went position uh, specific. So, again, we wanted the best kick in the team, but we've got the best kick uh, in defence and we thought, then we've also found the best kick as a forward, so the best kick going inside 50. Different um, types of kicks, aren't they, really? Correct. So, then, so yeah, when we when we filtered for best kick for our uh, one of the spots in the defence, we only sort of... Um, we filtered out all non-defenders and gave that to a guy that has actually played in defense this year. Same as the wing position, we picked the stats we wanted and then we made sure that the guy had to be eligible. I think it's about 30% 30 in that position uh, to actually be in the team. So 
again, uncontested possessions was something we picked for the wing. I think Zach Merritt was number one for that, but he's not a winger. So therefore, Andrew Gow. Look at you go. Actually actually selecting a winger in the wing position for an All-Australian team. Yeah. That's un- unprecedented. <laughs> what happens if a player tops two stat categories? Correct. So that's where, and again, it's, um, as I said, we've done it previous two years in the AFLW. Um, and in, I know in the AFLW, there was, uh, I know Ebony Marinoff, I think one year was on top of three stat categories. So the, the ruling was we, we worked this out before it happened and thank God we didn't have to, you know, come to any tiebreakers. Um, it's whatever stat you're furthest in front of, you get in for that. So if you're 40% ahead of second place in a certain stat or 10% or whatever, you get that stat. And then second place in the stat that you, you know, that you, missed out on will get put into that team. So there was sort of um tiebreak. But we yeah, we didn't have any that we had to sort of um sort of you know uh, run that for. But we sort of we did this before round 23, um picked the 22 uh stats, picked the players in there. And there was actually four changes, I think, or yeah, four changes on the final weekend to the team. So yeah. it's almost like a real team. Whereas it'd be interesting to see if we ran this week by week how it would have changed from round one to 23. But um yeah, it might be something we sort of, yeah, keep going forward. So, um, yeah, so that, as I said, that was basically we've we finished with 22 stats. I think we had about 40 that we threw up that, you know, what what makes a good team. Um, but, yeah, I think we're pretty happy with, with what we're left with. All right. Run us through, your, I guess, your defenders and, and the stats that they've been selected from. Yep. So first two pretty easy was the number one intercept possession winner in the competition. We wanted him in the team, and that's Jake Lever. Boom. Um, so that was quite easy. And then we wanted the intercept marks one. And that was where the tiebreaker could have come in because Jake Lever was close to being number one for intercept marks as well. Uh, but Liam Jones uh, finished number one for average intercept marks uh, per game this year. So, again, it, this is using averages. And the player had to play a minimum of 17 games across the season to make it into the team. So uh, first two spots in the defence, yeah, Jake Lever and Liam Jones is our sort of intercept winners. Notably, uh, as I mentioned, we want, you know, every team wants their best ball user. Yep. Sorry, I was just going to say, notably, Jones wasn't actually in the 40. So uh, we've got a bit of a, a difference there already. Yeah. Yeah. First, first of many, I think. <laughs> um, as I said, we wanted our best kick, uh, you know, a defender to be, you know, the best ball user and the best kick. So that was Bailey Dale um, across the season. So he gets a spot in our defense. Um, I think he was in the 40. Uh, one of the late changes from, um, you know, one of the changes from round 22 to round 23 was one-on-one loss rate. So we wanted minimum 50 one-on-one contests that you defended and who had the um, lowest loss rate, if you like, from those one-on-one contests. Um, leading into it, it was sort of like it could have been Liam Jones again as a tiebreaker um, in, in this position. He could have led into set marks and been the best one-on-one uh, defender, but it was Jack Henry by the end of round 23. So another one who probably wasn't discussed for the Australian 40-man team and, uh, for, sorry, 40-man squad. Um, bit of a surprise, but again, he across the year, I think he was involved in about um, just under 60 one-on-one contests and had yeah, the lowest loss rate of anybody. So he, he comes into the team as the best one-on-one defender. Um, and similar to the Bailey Dale position, you want a ball mover out of the half, uh, out of the back line. So the number one metres game player. Um, and again, we, we ran it for number one metres game player in the competition, um, hope, you know, and then going to pick the number one defender from that list. Aaron Hall was number one either way. So he's number one in the comp for meters gained and he's a general defender. So he slots in nicely to the... Uh... Aaron Hall gets in for all his cheap meters gained. Oh, 
Oh, cheat meters gained. If it was cheat meters, uh, how come how come twenty two players per week aren't getting seven hundred meters gained? Because they don't give every player gives him the. They just look. Any North player gets the ball. They three three sixty the ground for Aaron Hall. <laughs> <laughs> You're critical of his one two uh, numbers as well. Well, yeah. He's uh, you, you love your Brownlow. How many players have got three threes in a row? Yeah, he's up there in history. Well, isn't he? true. I just I to start the season, right? I think yeah. uh, we might see the Texan do it this year. Good, yeah, good. Uh, uh, any other defenders? Yeah, final starting position again. So we pick six sort of starting stats, if you like, uh, on the field. A number one spoiler again, one of the traditional and simple stats. But yeah, you just want someone that's going to kill the contest. And Harris Andrews uh, gets in quite easily. So yeah, starting six for defense: Jake Lever, Liam Jones, Bailey Dale. Jack Henry, Aaron Hall, and Harris Andrews. Um, Not bad. And I sort of, I'll do the interchange now. So each bench spot, we chose one defender on the bench, two midfielders, and one forward. So we're only a one Ruckman team. Um, but yeah, the, the, the seventh stat that we sort of put on the bench was the number one defensive rating um, in the competition. So again, that's, we've spoken about that on the pod. It's looking at who you play on each week um, and looking at their season average compared to what their output is when they're playing against you. Um, and again, this was one of the, the changes from round 22. I think Jake Kelly was holding this spot until this weekend. Blake Hardwick um, ends up with, I think he was 66%. Uh, he was keeping his opponents, you know, below their season average. So he gets in as sort of our, our number one lockdown defender, if you like, and gets the bench position. So I don't think You're he right. was in the full. Bit of a left field choice, but uh, the stats obviously back it up. Yeah, again, and it's one of those stats, tag rating, it's... I don't know if it's a left field one, but again, it's not like your meters gained and your spoils. It's not in too many stats boxes. So it's a bit of a, a different sort of look at it. But again, you, you you want a lockdown defender. And I think that's one of the best stats we use to track who's doing that well. So some stiff names from the defense, Jake, would probably, you'd have to say Jacob Wiedering, um, probably someone like Daniel Rich. Yeah. A um, um, couple of others. There's a few. I'm just, as Christian's going, I'm just writing these down. So we we only have, just to tease, we're going to have our All-Australian team coming out on ESPN tomorrow. It's so Wednesday. Of the, of the seven defenders, we only had we only had three in ours. So mm. already a fair difference there. So, um, and we didn't have Aaron Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. All right. Uh, <laughs> moving to the midfield, maybe go the... the the wingers first and then uh, the, the starting center bounce. Yeah. I think the wing position um, again, we were as a uh, team that put this together, we were committed to having wing, you know, you had to be eligible to be in that position for the wing. Um, well, you so... can't take it seriously. Right. And nowadays doing it, you, you have to, you have to give it respect that position. I think so. And again, the, you look at all clubs and I, I threw it out again. This is, um, one of the hotly sort of debated of what stats though do you want on your wing? I sort of threw up, well, I want, I want to look at all the wingers and I want my best score involvement player and my best intercept possession player from the wing. So one's working forward, one's working back. And that's sort of where we started. We went back and forth with that. Um, but again, sort of, yeah, I think every team has yeah specific wingers in mind and we, we sort of track time and position and I think wing went away a little bit seven or eight years ago, but it's back as a, you know, a traditional position mm. now that coaches pick on so i think mm. uh pick by so i think yeah the all australian squad needs to reflect that um a little bit more it's good to see i think what we count this morning i think there's three or four that could be eligible for the from the all, all australian 40 that could be eligible for the wing so we'll see how that plays out uh but the two stats we settled on as a department was yeah number one uncontested position possession winner for a winger again someone that just we can give the ball to on the outside uh andrew gaff gets that so i think he also missed out on the 40-man squad 
announced by the AFL. And the other winger we want is, again, just the guy that's going to run both ways. So, again, a good stat for that is inside 50s and rebound 50s combined. So someone that's working hard behind the ball but also setting up attack in the forward half of the ground. Uh, and Paul Seedsman gets that spot. So I think once we plugged his name in, I think um, we are pretty happy with, you know, to have him represented because I think he has been close to the number mm. one wingman in the competition this season. Yeah, they had a uh, – can't remember if it was this week or last week, but they've – Fox had a graphic on Seedsman as as a rated as a winger in about eight different categories, and he was rated first or second in just about all of them. He's had a fantastic season, and, and someone like Seedsman deserves to get. Going back to the point we we're just saying, someone like that deserves to be recognised in this team. Um, you know, he might not be the in the six best midfielders that you think of, but as a winger, yeah, he's he's top of the class right now. Yeah. So, yeah, two wing spots, Gaff and Seisman on either end. And then we've sort of gone, um, yeah, you're starting sort of centre bounce. So as I, as I sort of said at the start, Nat Nui gets the ruck position for best hit out to hit out to advantage win rate. Uh, and then the three midfielders are pretty much, yeah, your, your standard stats, quite easy to pick from. You want your number one disposal winner, uh, that's Tom Mitchell. Number one contested ball winner, uh, Clayton Oliver. And number one clearance player, again, going by averages, and it's Tom Liberatore. So... Starting midfield of Nat Nui, Tom Mitchell, Clayton Oliver, and Tom Liberatore. Mm. Mitchell, and in, probably the most interesting one there, but I guess you can't argue with someone who accumulates the ball a lot. Um, did you thought think about having someone in the centre who kicks the ball more than hand passes it to be that sort of release player at all, or are you, are you just relying on those sort of those winger players to get in there? And uh, um, probably not in the centre bounce, but again, we've got that. We've got the best kick in defence, um, and then we've also in our forward line we've picked the best. We've looked at the best player for delivering the ball inside fifty. So right. we've definitely looked at kicks as being you know something we want in the in the side. But in terms of your centre bounce midfielders. Um, I think, yeah, and, and we talk about it a lot. I don't think you, you put your best kicks always in in yep. close at the centre bounces. You always want to try to keep them in the peripheral positions. So I think, yeah, we're pretty happy with those. As I said, they're, they're traditional stats. They're the old-fashioned stats, but you want your number one ball winner, number one contested ball winner, and clearances are pretty important. So, again, we gave two bench spots um, to the midfield. One of them was sort of, it's sort of, you know, it's counted as a midfield spot at the moment, but it's score assists. That could have really been any player. Uh, really, Jack McRae um, gets in anyway as the number one score assist player. So he sort of is like your um, fifth midfielder on the bench, if you like. Yep. Uh, and the other one we wanted is clearly want someone, same as Blake Hardwick in the tag rating. We wanted a great uh, pressure player in there. So number one, what we do, we spoke about it again on the pod, is your pressure points player. So the type of pressure acts they're doing, how much points they're actually collating from that. And that was Jack Steele mm. uh, who gets in for sort of being our... Um, you know, our defensive or pressure midfielder, if you like. Well, tenacious tackler makes sense that he's, I guess, got the most pressure points given uh, actual physical tackling of someone gets you the highest pressure rating of, of any of those sort of pressure acts. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. Physical pressure acts. So uh, again, yeah. So just recap the midfield quickly. Yeah. Ruck, Natanui with starting center bouncer, Tom Mitchell, Oliver Liberatore. On the wings, we've got Andrew Gaff and Paul Seedsman with Jack Steele and Jack McRae coming off the bench for the midfield. Few stiff names, Jake. Your man. Oh, yeah. I don't know where to start. I mean, <laughs> I, I was, I, I saw this team a couple of days ago, and I was a bit stunned. There were a few clear, obvious omissions. Um, the player we we're talking about earlier, Ollie Wines, not being mentioned. Um, Marcus Bontempelli. Yeah. Uh, well, Christian was... Petrarca. Yeah. There's quite a few um, top liners that didn't get a didn't get a Guernsey here, but it is a tough team to crack into and. Um, does it sort of say 
they're players that do a lot of things well as opposed to one thing brilliantly. Well, that, that basically sums it up. So we were the same. We ran it. As I said, we know uh, subjectiveness in the names that were picked. We just picked the 22 stats first, ran it, and we saw the same thing. I said, of the top two, um, almost top two favourite in the Brownlow, if it's Wines and Bont, uh, aren't in the team. But again, Bont and Pally suffered from this for the last, you know, six, seven years that he's played. He's never been number one in anything. He's, he's very rarely been elite in everything but he's above average in the most stats of any player across the competition in any position. So he just does everything better than average. Um, you know, I think this year he's elite in a couple of categories, but he's never been number one. And same as Ollie Wines, I almost got him in on the bench because one of the stats I sort of threw up, uh, we did have, as I said, we went through about 50 stats, was disposals <laughs> per minute. So someone that can come on and just have a quick impact. Uh, he's number one in that stat, but yeah, just that that didn't make the cut. So maybe if we've got a sub player, sub. Yeah. It's funny there. you mentioned that because I I did notice he he for the amount of ball he wins, he spends a lot of time on the bench. Ollie Wines, him and Boke, they they seem to be high bench players. Yeah, there's all. I mean, there's always we yeah. Again, this is all the sports science stuff. There is clearly players that, yeah, some players need about four to five minutes on the bench, and then some midfielders are seven, seven and a half minute stints sometimes on the bench. So, what about the greatest bench player of all in David Mundy? Well, yeah, we could. That's that's the other one I threw up. Is just yeah, how many times you started on the bench? He would, they would have got the sub, but unfortunately, I think Trent Rivers might have pipped him in. Uh, I think yeah. Trent Rivers was almost 20, 21 times. On the bench. <laughs> oh, that's uh, stiff. Don't give me a who. He, he's he, one of the best young players of the season. Better get some votes in the national. Yeah, he's one of, star, one of the best old players of the season. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, moving on to the forward line. Yep. So forward line again. Um, you know, one of the obvious stats, goals. So, yep. you know, you have to have the common medal in the in the side each year. So goals is Harry McKay. Um, again, sorry, that wouldn't be the commenter because we've gone average, but either way, it's Harry McKay. Uh, second one, score involvement. So it's just who's been involved in the most scoring chains. Uh, that comes down to Dane Zorko. So again, mm. a, a mid-forward sort of position. We can always throw Dane Zorko into the midfield. Don't mind it. Uh, as I mentioned, we wanted another sort of looking at a kicker and um, what we call, you know, the delivery inside 50. So the best kick uh, retention rate inside 50 of anyone that had at least 50 kicks inside uh, this year, which was about 90 odd players qualify. Jake Stringer had the highest percentage retained by a teammate for when he's kicking inside 50. Uh, so he gets into the team. Then we've picked our best one-on-one um, target in the competition. Again, minimum 50 contests who had the highest win rate. That was Lance Franklin. So again, I think he was one of the surprises for the 40-man squad that some of the commentary around, um, because you know people probably didn't expect him to get it in the 40-man squad, but we got him into the team as yeah, best one-on-one player in the competition. Um, another sort of yeah, simple stat again, pretty pretty tall forward line there so far. We wanted the number one forward 50 ground ball get player, so the crummer, the guy that's going to win the ball at ground level. Toby Green gets into the team on that stat. Yep. And then we just wanted the most accurate player. So someone that just takes their opportunity. Um, and that's Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, who had the best uh, accuracy of the top 50 players for shots at goal. So uh, again, starting forward line of Zorko, Harry McKay, Jake Stringer with Anthony McDonald, uh, Tip and Woody, Lance Franklin and Toby Green. Uh, yeah. A couple of names there that are probably a little surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Um... McDonald, Tip and Woody, oh, he was in our mid-year All-Australian team, probably fell away in the second half. I think yep. everyone would, would sort of say that, even Bombers fans. But I guess um, your ac- his accuracy didn't really fall away. It was probably more his productivity. So you can kind of understand how he gets in there. Um, who I'm curious, who's on the bench as a forward? Yeah, so that's another one, again, probably stiff for this 
stats end up on the bench. But again, it was just sort of where we fitted in. We want to pressure forward again, same as a midfielder. You want a good tackler. We wanted a defensive uh, rating in the back line. So everyone sort of goes in with that that tackling or uh, pressure forward. So we looked at the number one player for forward half pressure points this year. So we said Jack Steele gets in for overall pressure points. Uh, his teammate, Dan Butler, gets in uh, the bench spot on the forward line as the number one pressure point. You forward. got Dan Butler in the All-Australian team. That's interesting. I wouldn't call it the All-Australian. It's this champion data All-Stats team, but yes. Also the All-Stats team. We've got him in the team, yes. Wow, I hey. like it. I like it. Hey, this is interesting because it kind of actually mirrors most sides, though, Jake, in that you kind of have these role players. Your Hardwick kind of style uh Your Hardwicks, your Butlers, your Halls. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you know what I mean? It's- like, Look, it's a good team, and, and it's yeah, it, it feels more of a team. The, the the A graders might there might not be as many as what comes out in the eventual All Australian team, but from a team point of view, you I know what you mean. You probably get the sense that this team would would probably be better suited to playing an actual game. Yeah. Um, I've just tallied it up, uh, so we've got ten. Yeah. Ten of these twenty-two are in our All Australian team, so less than half. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, quite a few differences there, but um, yeah, Dan Butler, <laughs> good on it. I think you're a year or two too late. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the actual All Australian forty is out, as we said, came out on Monday. You can check that out on ESPN.com.au/slash/AFL. A uh, few stiff names on that one too, Jake, by the way. Uh, Libba, Christian, you were a big fan of Libba's work throughout the year. He didn't make it. Travis Boak, you're a big fan of him, Jake. Um, Camp Guthrie, Jack Revolt had a pretty good year and didn't make the didn't get a nod. And and Josh Kelly also had a pretty strong finish for the Giants and, and missed out. So uh, yeah. it's a tough, tough gig, isn't it? Well, we we everyone always like we talk about this a lot with it with all sorts of things like this, but yeah, it's fine to say, oh, Guthrie was stiff and Boak was stiff and um Liam Jones was stiff or whoever. But look who got in. But who do you take out? Who are you taking out? Particularly, let's look at the midfield. Who are you taking out? Are you taking out Jared Lyons or Rory Laird? No, they've had better years than than players like Boak and Guthrie. Um, It's not to say they've had crap years, but you've only got, got, I don't know how many midfielders are in the the 40-man squad, 15 or so. I mean, how many? How many? Where do you draw the line? Yeah, and that's the thing. And I mean, we could... Have twenty-two midfielders on the t- in the squad, and everyone will complain. So I think um, people probably probably look at it and say, "Well, how did Carl Amon get in, but Travis Boak didn't?" Well, it's a different position, but people yeah, yeah. Do- people want it. They want wingers to be in the team, but then they don't want to accept it when it comes at the expense of um, a midfielder. So I'm I'm comfortable with it. I think every year there's always going to be players that feel a little hard done by, but at the end of the day, if you're if you're a 50-50 of getting into the 40-man team, you, you're not going to be making the 22 anyway. So it's a good point. Um, and I would say this, it should be a 23. There should we should have a sub. A super sub. We should have a why do we not have a sub? Trent Rivers, get him in. <laughs> Let's move on. We're, we're falling behind. Uh this week's finals. Uh, four pretty interesting matchups. And Jake, we've mentioned it in the pre-pod meeting, and I'm, I'm, you might have mentioned it earlier in this podcast, but <sighs> pretty hard to tip all of them. Oh. And, the side it's, that's the, the biggest favourite with the bookies is probably the side that's the most out of form. Well, that was the thing that kind of highlights the round for the round or the whatever you want to call it, the, the four games for me, is that, um, yeah, the Bulldogs are the shortest price of all eight teams. And I think I said it earlier, you can certainly make the case. And I don't even think you're making the case. It's just reality. They're the most out of form of all eight teams. So 
Um, I think the Bombers can beat them. I, I, there's no team, no game I look at and I think this is an absolute lock. I, yeah. I, I, it's extremely hard. I can't remember, can't remember a first week of finals. Normally, there's one team that that feels very much a. Maybe it's because we've lost a bit of the home ground advantage too, and, and yeah, crowds, so that kind of evens things up a little bit more. But normally, there's at least one game where you you think, gee, it's going to be bloody hard for that team to beat this team. But it's certainly not this week. I, I could, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, with if all the away teams won, uh, if all the home teams won, I, I really can't. I really can't pick it, but well, that's there's good only news because it's, there'll be four exciting games. Well, there's only one true home game this week. And it's on Friday nights. The the Power and the Cats, and they've had some interesting tussles uh, over the last probably 12 months because they met in the final last season too, and that was one of the most engaging games that I watched last season. Uh, and you know, you know, you look at these two teams, and they're probably the two most informed teams in these these eight. I mean, aside from the Bombers, but they're probably a rung below. But you look at that game and that's probably... You, you, know, you really don't like the Ds, do you? I, I, I do like the Ds. <laughs> I said they're a, a great chance to win the flag earlier in the season, but I think they've got, of the top four teams, I think they've got the most question marks on them still, despite finishing top of the ladder, which is... Interesting. Maybe it's a nod to the fact that the other three teams in the four all made finals mm. last year and, and have form. So. Well, just on that point about it being even, there's no team that feels a step above everybody else no exactly yeah um obviously the top four have the advantage of the double chance but even the bottom four in this eight feel they don't feel that much of a step down to the top mm. four if you're looking at form in recent weeks you probably look at the giants and the the bombers and you think they're, they're in pretty decent form the gws they are in they are in good form <laughs> thanks jared healy uh christian anything from <laughs> That first game that we can sort of look at, that Port-Geelong game that might be a deciding factor in it all? Yeah, so, I mean, as you mentioned, I think in, in terms of their being the two informed teams coming into the week, I looked at sort of the last six weeks form for each of them and it's Port first, Geelong second for yeah. contested possession differential, Geelong first, Port third for inside 50 differential, Geelong first, Port fourth for uncontested possession, um, second and third between them for disposal. So... Uh, these two teams have been, again, I, I spoke about it as Geelong sort of last year in the finals. Um, they really want to bully team. They want to be the first to the ball and then they sort of slow it down, take a lot of heat out, a bit, a bit of chipping around and things like that. Port sort of play a similar game in terms of they want to be the first in there and uh, get the ball. But just taking an, an, another simple number from the last six weeks, so marks per game, Geelong are first, Port are 14th. So they'd go about it different ways once they do win. Um, they both want to crack in there and win the hard ball. But I think, yeah, I think this game could be a little bit decided a little bit on the outside of who actually moves the ball better because we know both these teams are very good inside um, and we'll have a lot of focus on trying to win the inside ball. But, yeah, to, to me, it's sort of, um, yeah, we, we, they've both got the same strength, so it's probably who does better in the, sort of the secondary part of both of their games, which is, yeah, getting the ball forward and playing it on the outside. Um, the, 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 the selection dilemma that I'm really intrigued in is the Mitch Georgiades one, Jake, because Porter said he's a chance to get up from this little hamstring twinge. And I think if he can be in that forward line and stretch that undermanned cats defense that doesn't have Tom Stewart in it, I think, you know, that, that could be the one that's the matchup or that area of the ground is the one for me that that's really interesting. Yeah, I like Georgiades. I think yeah. he's a really talented player, but I don't know if I would risk it because I... can that forward line match Geelong's output, the forward line's output though? 
without Georgiades and that's the, that sort of extra tall that's going to really take some one of the opposition defenders to, to look after him. Well, no, they probably, if, if the game's a shootout, which I think earlier in the year, it may well have been um, from memory and discussing it. I think they combined for about 200 points, these two teams, when they played this year. Is that but, a look at that? Um, 112 to 91. So it's yeah. So from that point of view, probably not. Um, a lot, a lot of, a lot will fall on Charlie Dixon, who, as we know, can be very hot and cold. Um, now, I, look, I think it's a huge op- moment for for Dixon. I think the two players I'm looking at, Charlie Dixon for Port, because we know what Wines will do. We know what Gray and Boke and all these guys, but Dixon's the one that can really get him over the line. If he has, a, as you said, Geelong's, uh, the Cats have an undermanned defense. He can really take control of this game. He'll, he'll get enough opportunity. Playing at home should be comfortable. I, I think he he should be looking at kicking four goals. That's what he should do. He looks so threatening and so damaging and like he could rip any game apart, but then he just goes missing for long periods. And that's the big frustration with Dixon. Um, and for the Cats, it's Dangerfield. I mean, it's obvious, but I've, I've said it for years on here. Well, he's missed so much football this year, but the times he's gone and played in the midfield, that desperate way he plays, it's so well suited for finals football. He's just got to play in the midfield. I mean, they've they've got they've got some players missing. You know, no Mitch Duncan. I don't believe he'll be playing. Um, I think he's just got to be in there. Get your better players around the ball, and and he's their he's still their best player. In a word, who's winning? Uh, Geelong, if Danger plays in the midfield. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, I think Geelong oh, by <laughs> nothing by two points. It's but yeah, it's hard to pick. Yeah, early early tip, Geelong. Yeah, I think I'm I'm on the Cats too. My maybe ten points. I think I had uh, in our little tipping game that you can do. ESPN.com/slash/game/slash two plugs in the one episode. Jeez, I hope I got that right. I haven't got that link in front of me. So, <laughs> um, Sydney and the Giants Saturday afternoon. Uh, interesting. Interesting. I feel match. like the, I feel like we always get these two playing in finals. How, how's this? <laughs> how's this? For, how's this? Right. So there have been 53 showdowns. There's been one final, semi-final back in 05. And that was a that was an interesting game. There have been 50 derbies, no finals. This will be the 22nd meeting between the Giants and the Swans. This is their third final. Okay, so I wasn't crazy. Yeah, it feels like they, yeah. Um, oh, look, it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. And the Giants are in form. Yeah. They've, they've, I certainly didn't think they'd be playing finals this year. There's a couple of teams playing that I didn't think would be there this year. Um, and the Giants are certainly one of them. They've hit form at the right time. They're doing the opposite of what the, the Bulldogs have done. They've hit form when it matters. And that's so important. And um, I, I don't know how much you can take from their meeting earlier in the season, given that that the COVID dilemma at that time and, and players were pulled literally at the last minute. Yeah. So the form, I'm, I'm not too sure how much you can read into this. And I'm kind of going into this match with a neutral hat on, just thinking I'm eager to see what hey, the Swans can do after what a remarkable season they've had, but also what the Giants and what they've been able to do in the last few weeks and, and get themselves and galvanize themselves and how mm. they'll be able to take it up to a, a younger team that doesn't have as much finals experience. Mm. Yeah. Um, the amount of players have been able to bring back in and just, I don't know. They just, the Giants though, I, I never want to trust them because they always let me down. And that's my, question mark i have on gws i know they've been informed i know they've looked good yeah but you only have to look back to that like that game against sydney and i know it was there was a special circumstance but sydney were also affected. the swans were also affected by it they dominated that first half that was a classic tale of two halves they dominated i think they were up by six or seven six goals, goals. Yeah. seven goals and then they they 
they just didn't come out of the rooms after half time and Sydney stormed back and won it. So I don't know what I'm getting for with the Giants. That that game really sums up who they are. You just don't know. So that's probably why I'd lean towards Sydney because I feel like they're a bit more of an honest side. But well, having neutral territory that, as well down in Tassie. Yeah, if both teams were played at their best, I, I there's no reason why the Giants couldn't win. But I just think if you by by if you played this game ten times, I think Sydney probably win at six or seven. So I'd go Sydney. Christian, can you make a case for the Giants at all? Um, again, it'll be very interesting in, in, in terms of this game. Sydney are very much, yeah, we talk about those stoppage, uh, sorry, the turnover game, the outside game. So, you know, the stuff away from the clearances that they're really, really good at. Once the ball gets into open play, they're good at scoring, punishing opposition. That's probably the Giants' weakness, and they like to keep everything tight. A lot of their stuff, a lot of their scoring comes from stoppages. So two very different game styles. Um, but, yeah, sort of looked at previous games against these two clubs as well. I know you mentioned they've played in finals a few times, but there hasn't been many close games. It always seems to be, and just this is just, you know, memory for me, but there's a few games where the loser very rarely scores over 40 in these games. Someone always ends up getting on top of the other uh, when these two teams play. And there's been some... Um, some Get on a blowout. A lot of results. But no, it's just a weird one for me because it's hard when you sort so of... You're look... conceding the blowouts aren't dead in... in well, I'm just conceding. <laughs> I think these two teams just... I think they have each other's measure, but yeah, you can throw again. There's a lot of times that this happens. You can throw all the stats out the window of what's previously happened because what happens between these two teams is mm. someone seems to get on early and the other team just doesn't. You know the, what happened as we were talking about in the um, in the ISO game, if we want to call it that switch after half time. That's very rarely happened in Swans Giants games. They all seem to sort of mm. yeah start off in one team sort of dominating and continuing on. So it'll be interesting to me. But as I said, simple simple terms. Sydney will want to win on the turnover outside game. GWS will try to get on top of the stoppages. In a word, who wins? Sydney. 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 <laughs> uh, Dees and uh, Lions. Another interesting qualifying final and, and one another game that had a tale of two halves when they played earlier this season. Christian, can you break it down for us and, and where you see this game being won and lost? Yeah, exactly what you said. The the first the, the time they played um, earlier this year was the first half was really played sort of Brisbane's way. Um you know, they scored sort of, I think it was 54 points uh, in the first half, only scored 21 points in the second half because Brisbane are the number one offensive team in the competition, finished as number one scorers. Melbourne are number one defensive team in the comp. So I think Brisbane got the run on early. Melbourne got the defense in place and sort of turned the game uh, back into their, into their, um, you know, their control. And the second half scores from turnovers were 36 to one. So Brisbane kicked one behind from, you know, Melbourne turnovers in that second half. They just could not get through. Uh, again, yeah, sort of what I sort of spoke about Swans Giants. One, one's clearly sort of uh, hung their hat on attack this year, and that's Brisbane. And they just their last six weeks, I think they're about 105 points per game or something. Uh, I think there's three teams that have averaged over 80 points per game, and they're at 105 in that time. Uh, but whereas Melbourne have just been the stingiest defensive, you know, 50 we've ever seen. They just do not concede a score once you're in there. So. Um, yeah, very contrasting styles and it'll be an interesting final. And yeah, just another one I'll point out, these two teams have never played in a final against mm. each other. So talk about Giants and Sydney, how many times they've done it. Melbourne <laughs> to have met in a final. Uh, offense or well, so attack or defense, Jake, what wins in a final? You'd probably have to lean towards defense, wouldn't you? Uh, I lean towards good offense. <laughs> Depends who it is. I don't know. Um, 
Quite a Everyone pressure always- games. I mean, I've always sort of said that it's it's you, if you're going to be in a in a final in that sort of atmosphere, I, I'm backing in a team that's got a, a solid defense. More Did you back? One. Were you one of those guys that was saying Freo would beat Hawthorne in that grand final? Well, it doesn't help when you kick 25 behinds. What, what's <laughs> changed for Freo in the last 10 years? <laughs> yeah. um, it's going to be a good game. Uh, probably looking forward to this one. More than the others, really. I think I want to. I want to find out what Melbourne's made of mm. in a final. Um, yeah. I I not necessarily have questions about them, but I just want to see how their forward line functions under pressure in a final against a, a pretty solid back unit. Um, and I think it's going to be a really good game and interesting as well, given that there's no home ground advantage. So it really feels like a neutral. Well, it is a neutral game despite the the latter position. So, um. Who in a wins? Mm. Um, Melbourne. I think Melbourne will win. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you, Christian. Yeah, I thought this was supposed to be the hardest. hardest <laughs> we're all, we're all in agreement so far. I, I'd almost yeah, I'd almost say Brisbane just to be different because yeah, I think <laughs> I think to me this is the hardest game to tip though because of how exactly what I'm saying about Brisbane's offense or attack or whatever you want to call it, the last five or six weeks has just been so good mm. that if there is a threat to this, you know, super strong Melbourne's offense, it's probably the way Brisbane been going mm. the last five or six weeks. That, yeah. They're a real good chance. I'll right. tell you what, you there's the half a dozen, maybe 10 genuine match winners that'll be playing in that game. And I think that's what it comes down to. That's what finals come down to just match winners making great plays when it matters. And, I think that's. I think that'll be a really tight game. Well, good thing we've uh, got nowhere to be this weekend, so we'll uh, be watching all games with interest. Hey, dogs and the Dons. Uh, you, you talk about sort of interest factor. I think in terms of just what the hell is going to happen, this is the game for me because Essendon's form, their ability to score, whereas the Dogs look just dysfunctional. Um, the, the way that they've been experimenting with positions and players in positions, and oh, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just know it's going to be entertaining whichever way it goes uh, and for me can can the dons do it i mean there's a reason that they're eighth they were on the precipice for a while and they were you know last in basically mm. um as the giants but there's, are, a, but there's a reason the the bulldogs are fifth and not first because that's they're correct, well out but of they fourth. were first they were first just yeah. three weeks ago so we know what they're capable of yeah um and it just depends honestly it just depends on if the dogs can reverse what they've thrown up in recent yeah. weeks and, and whether the Essendon can match that because it's, it's honest, it's the, probably the most fascinating game this week for me. Yeah. Look, it's, oh, you, they beat them. They beat them a few weeks ago. <laughs> well, like, again, so we can in the say middle what of they're this... capable of, but the Bombers are also capable of beating this team that they've, and they've done it recently, not three years ago. They've done it a couple of weeks ago. So I, you know, talk about match winners too. You know, I think it's going to come down to, and it's not just one player, but Jake Stringer is so critical and i think just about he's probably the most important player to his team of any of these eight teams playing um this week i think he's so if if they are to win if i told you jake stringer didn't kick a goal he only had two clearances and nine touches for the game do the bombers win absolutely no way good point um i think jake stringer what he's been able to do in the midfield center clearance work in there with um Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish, I think has been fantastic. And what he can do pushing forward, he's so good around goals. I think he's just going to be that dynamic player that breaks it open. And I don't know if the Bulldogs have someone that can that can match him. 
Well, the, the, this is the thing. The, the dogs had this dynamic midfield and sort of forward sort of set up earlier in the season. And, and Bontempelli has been pretty badly out of form. And if he can if he can have a game where he has 30 and kicks two, if, if, I, if I told you that Bontempelli had 30 and kicked two and had five, six clearances in a final, you'd probably think, well, they would have had a good game. Um, you know, McRae needs, needs to... to, to step up a bit. Our man, Josh Dunkley, he needs to have a big game. He needs to have 25 and, and maybe hit the scoreboard. Like I, I just think there's more room for, imp- obviously there's more room for improvement for the dogs than the Dons. Uh, and the Dons have been riding a wave. So if, if the dogs can get up and about, I'm, I'm backing them. Christian, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, probably agree with like a lot of what you said about in terms of yeah recent form, but uh, again, looking at the two teams across the season, this could be the, you know, these are two of the cleanest teams going around first and second for disposal efficiency. Um, uh, well, they feel like they play quite similar now. The way yeah. they, the way the bombers flick the ball around a lot with hands, they they feel similar to way. Yeah, they both sort of rely on that. Yeah, that really really impressive sort of ball movement sort of thing. So yeah, Bulldogs first for scoring once inside fifty. Essendon a fourth. Uh, I think yeah, Essendon number one are going from you know clearance to score. Bulldogs a fourth. So the difference is in the turnover game though, where. Again, across the whole season, Bulldogs have got their clearly got uh, Essendon's measure, but yeah, probably the last six weeks, you know, they're not they're not as far ahead of the competition as they were, um, you know, in, in terms of scoring from turnovers and things like that. But yeah, it it on paper it looks like this could be one of the sort of yeah the most eye pleasing finals to watch because of the way these two teams play. Yeah, uh, in a word, who wins? Just quickly, don't underestimate the returns of. Um, Andy McGrath and Dylan Shield too. It just gives them more depth in their midfield of against a team that earlier in the year we were saying, is this the best midfield ever assembled? So I'm going the Bombers. I think they will win. I'm not hugely confident, given that they are, as I said earlier, the, the biggest outsider of the, of the week. But I just think the Bombers, are, uh, the Dogs are well out of form. The Bombers are in form. And the pressure of, not so much pressure, but the talk of how they haven't won a final in 17 years would be weighing so heavily on these players. I think they're going to give absolutely everything. Not to say the dogs won't, but I just think they have a bit more motivation now to win it, to win this game. And I, I think they will win. Christian? Uh, I'll stick with the Bulldogs. Yeah, I I'm, think I'm backing the Bulldogs. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dons do it, but I think that... There's a reason why they were first on the ladder a few weeks ago. And, and you know, who knows? A yeah. couple of and there's dink, a reason why they're fifth changes. now. <laughs> right, well, Look, we'll, I hope the we'll Bulldogs come back to this. you know, like we, we want to get, we want to get dunks back on here and we don't want to be talking about a loss in the, in a um, elimination, final, elimination yeah. final. So yeah. hopefully they win. Yeah. Uh, I know that we talk a lot of footy on this podcast, but uh, it's just one of, a... <laughs> we're supposed to, aren't we? <laughs> Yes, but we are one of just a number of great local podcasts available on the ESPN Australia network. We've just released the newest one called Beyond the Lead, where Joey Lynch of Soccer Twitter fame speaks to some sports' most interesting characters like swimmer Kyle Chalmers, middle distance runner Jessica Hull and Joe Montemuro. You can find ESPN's Beyond the Lead wherever you get your podcasts. I've had a listen and uh, they're pretty good. He's in-depth chats and you don't get these sorts of athletes available too often. And some of the uh, some of the chats have been outstanding, so make sure you do get around them. Yeah, I was going to say someone like Kyle Chalmers. You know, he for for two for two weeks of every four years, he's the name everyone's talking about, and then you don't hear anything. So it's good to hear his his stories of what what goes on. Um, 
behind the scenes. Yeah. Very good listening. Absolutely. Uh, we're running short of time. Let's whip through justified hype or hyperbole. Uh, a Tassie team will be approved in 2022, Jake. Um, yeah, I think in some capacity it will be, but mm. that's not to say we're going to get one next year. We, how, when, how, how long are we going to wait to get one? Oh, yes. Another five years, 10 years, who knows? Like, given it's going to go to the, the, the clubs and they're going to vote I, on I it. think so. I think yeah. there's no reason why it should be rejected. There's a groundswell of support that I see from fans and yeah. other clubs coming that uh, I think is just And inevitable. it feels long. It feels overdue, to be honest. Mm. So I think it's a good thing. Um, the, only, the only thing I don't like is having 19 teams. That's my biggest thing. I, I don't want to have a buy each week. I would rather have 20. But, yeah, you can't deny they deserve a team. Ollie Wines will win the Brownlow this year and keep it brief because we're running short of time. <laughs> I know you can talk about Ollie Wines all day. Uh, I could talk about the Brownlow all day and Ollie Wines. Yes, he will. He's won it. What do you mean will win it? He's won it. Okay, there you go. Everybody. The votes have been counted. <laughs> he has won the Brownlow medal. ESPN's Brownlow predictor. Just Google that. Uh, it'll be the first thing that pops up on your browser. Don't hold me to it because there's <laughs> flip a coin on the Terms top Terms and four, conditions so apply. <laughs> um, we'll probably do a, a special Brownlow episode at some point, do you think? Yeah, I think we will. There's so much. I mean, it's such a fascinating count this year and um, so many players have had fantastic seasons. So, and yeah, I think we will. We will discuss this probably the week week before the Brownlow night. Uh, and you've got one for me, I think. I do. Um, you always. I, I feel like I'm. I'm never prepared with these, but I am this time. Even though I tell you and I send you the podcast rundown every week, Dave, your your mate David Teague has coached <laughs> his last game at Carlton. Oh, I'm starting to think it's a hyperbole. I'm See, starting I'm, to think. I can't, I can't believe this. Yeah, go on. Sorry. So I'm I'm starting to think that he's played this really, really well through the media and his managers played this really well through the media and saying that he hasn't had any support. He's had no board support from anyone. Um, he's been sort of left to fend for himself in press conferences. And I think that the incoming president, Luke Sayers and, and the board are going to, they, they'll have seen that and I've gone, oh, they might be right. And if they cannot get Alistair Clarkson's signature, I think he's the only one that can usurp Teague. I think if they can't get Clarkson's signature, they're going to throw their support behind Teague as a sort of like a saving face thing. Get someone like Michael Voss in as a senior assistant and uh, and give Teague at least one more season. Well, I, if, I just get that. I just get that feeling from the la- the way it's played out the last couple of weeks or the last week. If Clarko says, "Yeah, I'm happy to do it, but I want next year off. I'll start in 23." <laughs> Another but, succession plan. <laughs> well, they're not going to. They're not going to get rid of. They're not going to get rid of Teague for a year. And to get no. someone else in to then change again. Oh, who knows? But so maybe he does. Look, I, I thought a couple of weeks after, there's absolutely no way. Mm. Like, but you do make a point. It's not, it's not crazy to think that he's there this time next year. Yeah. Sorry, not this time next year. At the start of next year. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Uh, Christian, thank you so much for the uh, champion data, all stats, all Australian team. That was Fascinating listening. And if anyone does have any thoughts on that, uh, tweet at Champion Data, not at Footy Tips. Thank you very much. Uh, we will take <laughs> we'll take criticism on ours. You can find that ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL tomorrow. That's Wednesday. Uh, but Christian, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, and Jake, always good to chat with you. And to yep. everyone at home, we will speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.